Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series, held on December 19, 2018, addressing the new proposed BEAT regulations. The panelists for the webcast were Mike DeFranzo and Alex Falashko, both PwC tax partners in our international tax services practice, Kartika Singh, a PwC tax partner in our transfer pricing practice, and Eileen Scott, a Managing Director in our International Tax Services Practice. This excerpt consists of a general discussion among the panelists, providing a general overview of the application of the BEAT regulations to payments made to disregarded entities and inbound financing. Have a listen. So, moving on to disregarded entities. Um, payments to disregarded entities, Carter K., what, what's that all about? Yeah, so um, the, the proposed regulations confirm that Payments made by a U.S. taxpayer to a foreign disregarded entity do not constitute a base erosion payment. Um, um, and that's, uh, when, we, when we step back and think about, you know, as Alex mentioned earlier, certain industries, certain companies have, um, you know, a value chain and an operating model that no matter what they could do on the margin, they would be caught up by the B. They would be, you know, severely hit by the beat, um, no pun intended. But, um, and, and so one of, the, one of the possible avenues out of that for them was um, to check the box on, on a bunch of their CFCs and where those, those, those offending payments would no longer be base erosion payments. A highly blunt strategy, uh, but something that is not made unviable by this, by this change. So that strategy if, if the idea is to convert uh, 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 what, what would be a base erosion payment into something that's not, well, that strategy would still work. But if we think outside of the beat context, there are lots of, lots of implications that one would need to think through before considering such a strategy. So we have uh, clearly the change in the foreign tax credit uh, basketing provisions, right, where there is an additional basket for, uh, specific basket for foreign branches. Uh, that comes into play. The foreign tax credit uh, regulations, um, and particularly the rules that govern FTC limit computations for those um, uh, for those foreign branches, generally take you in the direction where those limits can be fairly tight, especially if now that the U.S. tax rate is lower, and uh, you know you have these you know in the. R&D services in places like India, et cetera, those rules can, can give you, if not through the beat channel, but outside the beat channel, some tax unfavorable uh, uh, answers. And then there's a permanence to, um, to, to checking the box uh, in the sense that once you've checked the box, unchecking it comes with a much higher cost. Um, you know, the 367D rules, et cetera, et cetera, are much, much tighter. So, all those things need to be thought through, but the long and short of payments to disregarded entities, again, the, the regs are consistent with the statute. Statute defined a base erosion payment as a uh, payment that is deductible and is made to a foreign person that is a related party. Those conditions are not met uh, in the context of a, of a payment to a disregarded uh, foreign entity. So we have a picture determining a base erosion payment you want to take us through that? that yeah. And that, that comes from an example. That? That, 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 that comes from an example. I think, I think this picture is a simplified version of the example that's in the regs. Um, 
And the underlying facts I think here are that you have a foreign parent. Um, the foreign parent has two wholly owned subs, a domestic corp in the US and a, and a foreign corporation. Uh, the domestic corp also has, uh, owns a foreign disregarded entity. And then the foreign parent uh, in turn has um, income connected with the US trade of business and that's the USTB box. And with, uh, under those facts, there are three interest payments. Uh, there's an interest payment from the US Corp to the foreign corporation. Uh, there's an interest payment from um, the US Corp to the foreign disregarded entity and then there's a payment for, from the foreign disregarded entity to uh, uh, the USTB. In other words, uh, that payment is included in the uh, ECI um, of the foreign parent. So applying the guidance here, interest payment one is, is clearly a base erosion payment. It meets all the criteria for a base erosion payment. Uh, interest payment two is not a base erosion payment. Uh, <coughs> It doesn't meet the definition, um, it's not really a payment, and it's not, it's not something that you get a deduction for. It's not deducted from um, the DC's um, tax liability. And then to the extent that the, that the interest payment three uh, is reflected in the income, in the, in the ECI um, uh, of, of the USDB, or it's otherwise reflected in the net income uh, through, a, through the PE route, uh, via uh, a U.S. income tax treaty, and certain other administrative requirements are met, I think that you alluded to earlier, withholding tax certificates, et cetera, then uh, that payment would not be uh, a base erosion payment. Okay, inbound financing. And uh, Eileen, you're going to take us through. I mean, we have the answer to our second polling question, which was the interaction with 163J, so here we go. Right, so there is a significant impact of, of beat with one with section 163J. So, you know, section 163J based on that polling question, I think you know, everybody knows, limits the, the deductible, the amount of deductible interest expense and there are rules related to carry forwards. And the, um, so uh, the, the proposed regulations, this, this statute provides a rule that says that if, uh, if the taxpayer has, um, interest expense that is disallowed in, in a particular year, then that interest expense, it's, a, it's an unfavorable rule, that interest expense will be treated as paid to unrelated parties first. And then if there's anything left over, then there's interest expense that's, that's, um, that is paid to related parties. And that interest that expense that would be paid to the related parties would be subject to beat. Um, and so the proposed regulations, uh, you know, flesh out that rule even more and provide rules for um, determining the amount of the interest expense, not only what's paid to related and unrelated parties, but also what's, what's paid between foreign and domestic related parties, and then what's treated as interest expense that's paid to, to unrelated parties. Um, and there is uh, an ordering rule that's applied separately for disallowed business interest expense, that's the term used in section 163J, um, that's carried forward from each prior tax year. So uh, under section 163J, a taxpayer can carry forward the amount of interest expense indefinitely that has been disallowed under that provision. And so there is an ordering, ordering rule that's applied to, um, to, to track that, that, those carry forwards. And then, um, 
the, uh, the proposed regulations under Section 163J um, have uh, rules for separately tracking the amount of the deduction that's allocated and carried forward um, from, a, from a prior year. And then these proposed regulations follow that same year layered approach for purposes of allocating business interest expense and the carry forwards um, between the related and unrelated party classifications. Okay, Alex, Consolidated Group. Um, Consolidated group, a few words on that. So we, we talked earlier in a webcast about this concept of an aggregate group, which is determined, which is used to determine um, an applicable taxpayer, so gross receipts and base erosion percentage. Um, the actual beat liability is determined at the consolidated group level. Uh, and that's really not a surprise. That's something that was expected. Um, this consolidated group approach would generally I think be helpful to many companies because it would reduce the impact of many of the intercompany transactions between consolidated group members. Um, the rules are explicit that one would ignore intercompany transactions for purpose of uh, bid determinations uh, to the extent, for example, there are sales of you know, property between members of the consolidated group and maybe you know, step-up basis transactions resulting in additional amortization. All those things would be backed out. Uh, the rules really operate similar to 163J rules, which also operate at the consolidated group level. Um, the, there is going to be um, still a lot of complexity thinking about the number of taxpayers have multiple U.S. consolidated groups, um, thinking about the number of taxpayers that have you know, deconsolidated U.S. companies within their structure. All those issues would add probably just significant additional complexity in thinking through and mechanically applying uh, the beat rules. And then maybe one, the last observation on the consolidated um, group issues is that uh, there's anti-abuse rule that related to um, uh, consolidated uh, groups which might lead to harsh results or unanticipated results, for example, where uh, a company might find itself with a beat liability, but you know, depending how you interpret those anti-abuse rules, really unable to um, Take, uh, avail themselves of the consolidated returns to try to mitigate that. Okay. Yeah, Eileen, the interactive provisions. Yeah, so I alluded to this uh, earlier in talking about the inbound financing in Section 163J, but the proposed regulations include um, proposed regulations under Section 1502, which, which relate to the consolidated group rules. Um, and there are modification, modification or proposed regulations there related to this, um, you know, this stacking rule uh, where there is a, a classification to, to classify, to identify the interest deductions that get allocated to um, domestic related party payments, to foreign related party payments, and then to unrelated party payments. And there are um, three different rules that are um, that are included. One is the absorption rule, and that really has to do with you know identifying the um, the business interest expense in a given year. And then there is a classification rule, and that classification rule is um, is the rule that um, is used for breaking out the, um, the amount of business interest expense that's treated as being paid to foreign-related parties as, and, and to domestic-related parties. And then there is, um, it's missing from the slide, but there's also an allocation rule, and that allocation rule um, pertains to 
allocating the business interest expense to um, among members of the consolidated group. Um, and so, you know, I think we've we've talked about you know this the, this treatment of the uh, consolidated group as the taxpayer for this purpose. It does. Um, you know, simplify things in, in some way, but there still is quite a lot of, you know, we keep recurring to the, the, coming back to the theme of complexity, there's still a lot of complexity around how the beat rules interact with Section 163J and how that overlays with the consolidated group rules. So, um, you know, there, there's a lot to, to, to unpack here. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like more information about this topic, Please email the speakers. Their email addresses can be found in the description of this episode. Thank you. Mm -hmm.